hear me. А вы что, собираетесь на ней жениться? Да. Ух, красота-то какая. Лепота. Таможня дает добро. И вообще не называй меня, пожалуйста, Вероника. Кто я? Вот кто я? Отныне русские земля единый быть. Hi, my name's Ali, and this is the Rus Files Unite podcast, where we watch Russian films and films with a Russian connection. As always, I'm joined by a guest, and today I have a returning guest. In fact, he was on the very first episode. Hello. <laughs> I didn't know whether you wanted me to say anything there. I was just That's fine. keeping quiet for as long as possible, and now um, I've stopped. Yeah, clearly. <laughs> <laughs> well, thanks for having me back. It's always a pleasure. Excellent. Yes, yeah, so it's always a pleasure to have you on here, he said, in not at all <laughs> awkward way. Never have I heard someone sound more genuine. Um, <laughs> are we watching another Toskov? <laughs> that guy. You know that guy. Tarkovsky. That's the one. Yes, we are. So it's bringing things right back to the to the beginning. Yes, so the, the film we're watching today is Andrei Tarkovsky's second film, which is called Andrei Rublyov, and it's from 1966. So this is older than Stalker, which is, is the 70s? Yeah, at the very end of the 70s, I would oh, say. Oh, wow, so like 15 years almost yeah, afterwards. Yeah. And do you know anything about this one? Putting you on the spot. Is it about an icon painter? It is. I've not been primed for this. I genuinely, that's what I know about it. Excellent. I mentioned it to my other half and she was like, oh yeah, you know, Rublev, you know his icons. I was like, no, no, I don't. (laughs) Well, you have a very erudite (laughs) other half. Um, So yeah, just showing who is more versed in culture in our relationship. So that's um, a good thing. So something about icons, which I'm guessing it's not set in the Soviet period. No. Where um, I imagine there were few icons. There were considerably, yeah, I imagine icon production was probably something of an underground activity yeah. that happened at all. Yeah. Um, so when is it set? It. Oh no, you've messed me up now because I have not done my due diligence. <laughs> that's okay, we'll um, figure it out. I think, I think it's... It's certainly the turn of a century. I'm just not sure which okay. turn of the century we'll is out. turning at that point. I think it's, yeah, I want to say it's 1200s into 1300s. Wow, okay. I could be spectacular. That's a lot older, because in my mind I was like, oh, I'll have a guess. I'll say the 17th century. You know, end of the 1600s <laughs> into start of the 1700s. Yeah, no. No, no way older. Super, right. super medieval. Okay. Um, as we will discover. Because I've seen this film before, so... I kind of know what to expect. Okay, I've not seen it before. I'm guessing 60s Soviet era, probably black and white, maybe? It is black and white. Because I guess, I mean, I suppose a lot of Western films were colour by the 60s, but... I think the Soviets 
do they were colour films, but I think with Tarkovsky, I think it was more of a point of principle. Like I think I read that he that he he said at one point that he was he, he wasn't convinced that colour was all that good for cinema. He thought it was a gimmick. I mean he consequently did have colour in his films, mm. but yeah. Um apparently it took him a while to come around to that. So I guess even Stoker, like, there's bits of it that are well not black and white, but like sepia, like monochrome anyway. Yeah. Like, just yeah, flashing yeah. back to that earlier episode. But um okay, so it's more of an artistic choice perhaps to have yeah. it in black and white. Yeah, I guess so. Yeah, it, it it is one of those things, isn't it? Like black and white for some people, it means boring, and for other people, it means prestigious. Yes. Or possibly um, prestigiously boring. <laughs> Pretentious. Like, you yeah. can have it in colour, and you choose not to. Why? Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, yes. Yes. Cause... It's like making a silent film or something. Like, you could you could have microphones exist. Yes. Um, <laughs> yeah. Given the option not to do it this way, why would you do it this way? But, yeah. Yeah. But it, yeah, it's funny, isn't it, that, that we do kind of tend to associate black and white with a certain, like, gravitas. Yeah, I think so. Are there any, any more, like, modern films that were intentionally in black and white? I um, want to say there was a Coen Brothers one. Oh, was there? Like... Oh, The Man Who Wasn't There? Yes, that's the one. Billy Bob Thornton. I yes. haven't seen it, but I'm pretty sure that is a black and white. I think I have seen it. I was right, and The Artist I was thinking of. You... But that's a bit different because it's set, like... Yeah. Part of the whole thing is that it's set in that era. Yeah, I, I still haven't seen that. Another um, great film. It's got a dog in it, so, you know. <laughs> which automatically, automatically makes it a good um, film. Yeah, in my yeah. opinion. Yes, uh, yeah, yeah, because yeah, all of those Air Bud movies are meant to be, you what, know, what this? I've not seen them. Does <laughs> um, um, it look who's talking three or something that's about dogs i might just know or is that still my babies i have i have no idea let's not <laughs> let's move away from one. this conversation yeah yeah yeah. beethoven a film with dogs <laughs> <laughs> okay so there may or may not be a dog in this one i can't really dogs remember. existed in medieval times they did they did yeah um <laughs> i'm gonna be very sad if there's not a dog yeah all right um i feel like we should probably just get on and watch yeah i, I suspect that's true so, um, do you remember what we say? Oh, I was thinking about this the other day and I was like, yes, I definitely know what we say. Um, Once again, for the second time oh. in this episode, I've put you on the spot. It's completely <laughs> unfair. Should have primed you. So, it is Payechali. Payechali, that's the one. Okay, okay, I'm ready to go. Super. So, we're blasting off, saying the Yuri Gagarin thing, which if you've heard the podcast before, I'll have explained it. And if you haven't, Go and listen to another episode. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Three, two, one. Payakali! just watched Andrei Rublyov and um, this is normally the point where we would do a plot summary 
But there's... You could argue there's not really much of a plot to speak of. Is there a plot? I feel like there was a plot, kind of. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, what it is, is it's like a series of episodes. Yes. I mean, very much like marked out, like there's literally a Mm. title card, like being chapter whatever. Yeah. The Bell, or whatever, that's the last one. Yeah, Um, I'd say like vignettes, but they're all much too long. Yes. (laughs) Like vignettes. Um, so, yeah. Episodes. Episodes. It's episodic. Yes, it is an episodic film. Um, so it starts in 1400? Yes, so we were completely wrong about that. Now he was closer, but sure. Still, Um, 108 years out is a long way. So three, there's three monks that talk about going to be artists in Moscow. There's the one that looks like an old Liam Neeson, the one that looks like a middle-aged Liam Neeson, and the other one. (laughs) Um, it doesn't look that much like Liam <laughs> doesn't look that much like Liam But they're all beardy. Yeah, you've got <laughs> the hero, Andre, um, Kirill, who is, I think, the, the we decided the older Liam Neeson guy. Yeah, the older Liam Neeson guy. And then there's Daniela. Yes, um, the guy that doesn't look much like Liam Neeson. <laughs> yes. Um, uh, so, yeah. Uh, and then they talk about icon painting. And then what I thought was going to be a really significant plot point in the next episode, but turns out not to really be, but they did come back to it, was the scene with the older one? Yeah. Kir something or other. Kirill. Thank yeah. you. Who goes to see Theophanes the Greek? Mm-hmm. Yes. Who invites him to help with icon painting. Yes. And he's like, oh yeah, I'll do it if you come to the monastery and tell me to come with you in front of everyone. The implication being so everyone will know how amazing I am. Yeah. But it backfires. Yes. Because, sorry, after you. Yeah. um, It's a messenger that's sent and they're inviting Andre instead. Yeah. Because Andre is great at icons, I guess. He is really good. <laughs> he is. He is really good. But um, so I thought this was going to be a big deal because then the older guy goes off into the world, leaves the monastery, and there's a dog. There's a dog. It's really nice. I thought the dog was going to go with him, and he beats the dog to death, which is less off nice. Screen, fortunately, yeah, which is less nice. But there were a lot of dogs in this film, so that was pleasing, um, <laughs> including a Saluki. So you know, oh, okay, yeah, yeah, a bit of exotic, yeah, fancy dog action. Um, so anyway, <laughs> uh, it doesn't matter. But then there's lots of other episodes. Then the Mongols show up. Um, yeah, and then the, the Tartars, like, as they're called. And yeah, the Tartars, as they're called. Um, the whole like last hour is this one story about a bell being cast by mm. this like teenage kid. Yes, his dad passes on the secrets of bell making to him, or not, or not. Plot it's not. Spoiler. It's not clear. Yeah, he seems like he. Didn't, and he's just bluffing, isn't he? Yeah. But then it works out all right. Yeah. And then he has a massive crying fit. Was that him? I thought that was his brother. Um, No, I thought that was him, but we could, I could be He wrong. looked quite a lot like his yeah. brother. Yeah. Um, but the, the guy, the kid who is in charge of casting the bell um, for some Tarkovsky trivia is Ivan from... Uh, Ivan's childhood, uh, Tarkovsky's first film. So, ah. so it's like him slightly He's older. Still quite young in this one. Yes, yeah. It was only a few years after this okay. being his second film. So um, there you go. But anyway. But yeah, that was a huge part. I, you know, because most, quite a lot of them in the first half of the film are quite short, these sections, mm. relatively short. 
in comparison to the three hour long film yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah the bell one went off rates but I found that by far the most compelling bit yeah, I, I thought think... the bit with the older guy was quite interesting, especially when he comes back later. Um, but yeah, the bell bit—I don't know why. I don't. I shouldn't have been. Not much happens. There's virtually no dialogue. No, but I, I similar to you. I think that's one of the bits that I remember most strongly from the first time I watched it. But similarly, this this time, because it is a hard watch. Because three hours is a big ask from the film anyway. You could have cut out so much if you wanted to mm. like and just wanted to have a film most of it doesn't even have Andre in it well that's that's <laughs> the thing it's called Andre Rublev but he is in some of the episodes he's the main character but in most of them he's just sort of peripheral and he's, he's just around yeah it's more like stuff that's happening <laughs> in vaguely the... near Andre Rublev <laughs> yeah. but I guess that's not a very catchy title yes yeah. <laughs> Things happening in the pro- proximity of a famous icon painter. Medievally things, yeah. specifically. Um, it's kind of like, it was the worst of times. Yeah, it was the yeah, worst, was of times. worst of times. <laughs> um, yeah. yeah uh, people die of plague. Yeah. Get, a lot of people get tortured. A lot of people get shot for no reason. With arrows, obviously, because, you know, it's yeah, the 1400s. Yeah. yeah. Um, yeah. Some spectacular Mongol raids. Did they invent hot air ballooning? That's the very first bit. The which very, is, very first bit, yeah. It's almost like a pre, not pre-credit sequence because the titles, I think, are before that. The titles but, are before that. But yeah, it's before Andre shows up. Yeah, yeah. It's just this guy makes a hot air balloon and he flies around. Yeah, and then until he into doesn't. a field. And then maybe turns into a horse. That was not clear. <laughs> I don't, I, think, I don't think he was supposed to turn into a horse. I think there's just juxtaposed a horse in there because it's it's you Andre can't. it's Andre Tarkovsky and he likes to have horses because there are a lot of horses in there. There are a lot of horses. The very last shot ever was of horses for no reason. Yes, because it finishes up with um, finally there's uh, there's some colour. There is, yeah, the last five minutes, yeah. yeah it's, it's very pointedly, here's some colour because we're going to show you some stuff that this guy did. Here you go. Yeah, some icons. There's actually, you don't see many icons in the film. You no. see a few here and there. No. Um, you don't, yeah, not a lot of icon painting is done. In fact, there's one whole scene where it's like, you guys haven't done any work. Why haven't you done anything? <laughs> yeah, and then there's somebody burnt a bit. But actually, yeah, mm. virtually none get painted, do they, on mm, screen? Yeah, no. Um, but yeah, and then there's just some horses afterwards. Yeah. For no reason. Yes. <laughs> Never mind. Um, yeah. It was interesting. Is there a plot? I don't know. It's, yeah. Not really. Is it about Russia? Is it about... Sort of, maybe. Icons? I don't know. There was a lot of stuff about how, like, Russia goes through a lot and yet yeah, will survive anyway. I mean, that was mostly the bits with the Tartars. Yeah, yeah. Because um, that could have felt really awkward and a bit racist. But they kind of make the point of saying... Well, actually, there was quite a bit of collaboration going on. Oh, yeah, they do. It's not that, like, all the Russians are perfect and the Tatars are evil. Yeah. Like, it's a lot of, here's a sort of foreign power in Russia or whatever. But then, yeah, yeah. a lot of them, particularly the higher-ups, the yeah. princes and the nobles and stuff, like, are all just going along with it and oppressing their own people. Yeah, well, there's there's very much, there's this one main, main prince mm. who we see chatting quite a lot and apparently having quite a friendly relationship with the 
head, sort of like Tartar mm. Raider guy. So um, yeah, and and for a film that was from the sixties, it was it didn't pull any punches as far as the violence was concerned. I no, don't think. No, me neither. Like it wasn't. I was going to say it wasn't that bloody. There were bits of it that were bloody. Mm, yeah, um, yeah. And even the bits where there wasn't a lot of gore, like there's still quite a lot of sort of and people getting dragged around a lot and dragged by horses and shot with arrows and like it's, yeah. Yeah. Not I, sort of off screen. It's quite in your face. Yeah. Yeah, it's 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 a tough a tough watch and people like being dragged away and you're kind of assuming to mm. be raped and... Yeah. Yeah. Wasn't great in terms of female characters... No, there's only really one significant female character. Who's mute. Who's mute, yeah. And Who's kind of Andre's charge, I guess. He sort of, ad- not adopts her as a child, but kind of like... Yeah. Has her around and... Takes her under his wing. Yeah. yeah. Obviously seems to care for her a lot. Yes. So it's not clear. Yeah. Yeah. But it's- she's... Some people describe her as like a holy fool mm. and she's... Yeah, it's it's just. It, I mean, I don't I don't know I don't know what I'm expecting from the film, but <laughs> it's it's very male dominated. Which you know, a film about a monk, you're kind of going to expect that. But yeah, so that was. It would have been nice if there was a female character with a point of view because you know, for a three hour film, there's not that much dialogue, but it's a three hour film, so there's probably like about an hour's worth of talking at least, yeah. and. The male characters have some interesting things to say, maybe. Yeah, the only the only character, female character I can think of that maybe even has lines really is the pagan woman at the festival. The witch. The, is she a witch? Yeah, it's not clear. Um, who kind of kisses Andre and lets him go, but she sort of talks about a little bit about how yeah. like, this is her tradition and they're not going to give it up and that kind of thing. But, yeah, maybe we should talk about that scene because that was probably one of the more interesting. If interesting is the right word, <laughs> scenes in the in, in the first half of the film, it, it had a, it had a similar problem to a lot of the film in that there was no context mm. presented really for a yeah. lot of it. It's yeah. just I don't know whether if I was better versed in Russian history, whether more of it would have made sense, um, like whether it would have provided more context. But a lot of it is just like here is a scene that happens, kind of in isolation. So anyway, Andre and a couple of other people they... along with him. Yeah, they stumble across. Yeah, they're traveling. Yeah. yeah, and they stumble across a load of uh, people they describe as witches. Yeah, although there's men as well. Yeah, not that men are witches, I guess, but you know what I mean. Yeah. Um, traditionally, you think of witches as being female. Yeah, yeah. Um, a lot of people carrying torches and they're running around naked through the woods. Yeah. Um, and then Andre is intrigued for whatever reason. Yeah. Well. <laughs> Um, and Lots of spry, young, naked ladies. Indeed, yeah. Um, and so he leaves behind the rest of his party and kind of goes closer to sneak yeah. up and gets found out by a couple of the guys. He's, then, he's kind of conspicuously clothed is part of the problem. Though. He is very conspicuously clothed, yeah. That never <laughs> didn't help his incognito. No, I am, I am also a nudie pagan. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, so he gets found and then tied up uh, to like a beam in a house. Um and they say that they're going to leave him there until the morning when they finish doing the dancing rounds. Yeah. And then they're going to kill him. Yeah, they're going to drown him in the they're river. They're going to drown him in the river in the morning. Uh, but then when the woman comes up and they have a conversation about 
well, you know, that she probably shouldn't be naked and she's like, oh, it's my tradition. Why don't you just leave us alone? And then she kisses him and then she lets him go. Yeah. And then he runs back to his party and he's all bruised and <laughs> and they're like, where have you been? Yeah, and there's the implication that something may have happened between them. Yes, there I is. I thought, anyway. Yeah, I thought there was some implication. It wasn't totally yeah. clear as to whether anything more happened, but... Yeah. Um, yeah, he's all bruised and bad and he's just like, oh no, there were some thorny plants. <laughs> yeah, very tough thicket back there. <laughs> yeah, and then they just move on. Yeah. So, you know... <laughs> too much peril. Too much peril. Sorry, there are bits of this that... It, it's difficult to watch having seen Monty Python and the Holy Grail, but I think that's just any medieval thing on film tends um, to... I kind of would have happily watched pretty much just the bell bit. Yeah. I mean, the bell bit is like, I think, over an hour. It mm. certainly, I think, it felt so, you know, like a you know decent kind of length. Yeah. Um, there's definitely a sense of urgency about it. Yeah, there's a sense of, urgency, a sense of stuff moving along, even though there's not much dialogue. Like, there's a sense of tension... And I just see an interest and in a way that I don't think I need to associate with bell making. Yes, it isn't the sort of thing which you automatically automatically go of the compelling things in the world to watch. And and I don't know whether that's helped by the previous hour and a half being less interested to suddenly it's like you found something that is like I mean it's beautifully shot. I was thinking like Stalker or whatever it is. Mm. Um, lots of long shots, lots of like really just really nice. And like you were saying as well while we were watching it, and a lot of scenes, the camera doesn't necessarily focus on the obvious bit of action. There's often action and stuff happening in the background or like nearby, which, yeah, which I kind of liked. Yeah, the one thing was the bit we're specifically thinking about there is during the... Mongol slash Tatar slash with some Russian yeah. help raid on uh, the city of Vladimir. There's, there's a bunch of soldiers bashing in the door of a church with a battering ram. And normally, like in a more conventional film, you'd follow that until they smash in the mm. door. But it kind of like, it pans away and you're just watching uh, the one of the Tatar chieftains like messing with some loot that he's captured. Yeah. And it's, it's kind of almost off screen for a moment. And then even when they're kind of back on him, they're just focusing yeah, on the sort of Tartar captain or whatever. Yeah. And it's just kind of happening on the like out of focus on the edge of the frame. And um, yeah, there's lots of interesting like shot choices, lots of kind of very photographic, static or near static shots, lots of handheld following stuff. Yeah, some of that I go. Um, I was just thinking that must have been so difficult to orchestrate. Oh yeah, just because in the sixties, no steady cams or anything. And right, yeah, um, yeah, look great. Um, what do you reckon about the icons at the end? Because it was nice. On the one hand, it was nice to see some of Andre's like work, um, but it just felt a bit like they could have ended it on the end of the bell bit where him and. The bell maker or the bell maker's brother, whoever, was just like, you may bells, I'll do icons. And this is after he'd taken a vow of silence. I don't think he'd spoken for about 10 years. And that seems to be the first thing he says since that, is that, oh, he'll go and do icon painting. Yeah. Because um, one of the sort of sub-themes of, of the film is, I don't know, it sounds, it sounds glib or flippant to say that um, Andre's suffering writer's block, mm. but... He doesn't have an easy time of things, you know, 
summoning the will to paint. Mm. He kind of feel it's like he has to have the right inspiration going for him to be to be able to do it. Yeah, and it seems like for most of it, he's it's just not happening for him for whatever reason. And even right at the beginning, you have to take it with a pinch of socks. I think this is Kirill saying it, and he mm. is really jealous of Andre. He's saying like. There's just something missing about his work. It's very technically good, but there's, you know, there's just something that's not there that should be there. Mm. Yeah. Um, but in answer to your question about <laughs> the the icons, I was glad that we we saw them, but I, I think it didn't help that it looked like the film hadn't preserved very well. Yeah, the color film at the end. Yeah. Yeah, because that's the only bit that's in color is, is you see the icons. Um, I think I could have done with slightly less of that, um, just because I don't know, or, or just if it had been shot slightly differently. Mm. Because quite often it's just like you're seeing the very edge of one, yeah. and it's kind of like not really sure what I'm looking at here. Can we talk for a moment about censorship and religious films and that kind of thing in the Soviet? Sure, I was yeah hoping that we would come on to you that. Do, yeah, because <laughs> it's it's like very super explicitly about religious topics most of it yeah i think it had big problems with the censors like i think i was i was reading in the booklet that came in it not remember not necessarily recalling all the details very well but i think the original cut was something like 200 minutes so it's even longer mm. than this and then it kind of disappeared and wasn't shown anywhere and then it like re resurfaced got shown in London but it was only two hours and it's like where's all this material gone and yeah I think it had a hard time as far as being being shown but it's interesting though because in terms of religious content there's a heck of a lot but it's not necessarily portraying Christianity and like uh yes this is definitely a ideology that you should sign up for instead of <laughs> being a communist you know? no it's it's not and it, um you know there's lots of sort of but it's also not doing the opposite and just saying like look how i mean terrible things happen but it's not so much like look this is the old ways isn't everything about it terrible yeah yeah um, there's a yeah in terms of the christian characters it's a mixture of mm. some more sympathetic some really not very sympathetic yeah some not very sympathetic like, Particularly Kirill in his dog murdering ways. <laughs> He's a hypocrite. He's a dog murderer. Yeah. What do you need to know about the guy? <laughs> yeah. Um, he looks like Liam Neeson. <laughs> Not that I'm trying to imply for a moment that Liam Neeson is a hypocrite or a dog murderer. <laughs> Good. We yes, we've had enough uh, uh, libel issues with previous episodes. <laughs> Uh, yeah, um, yeah. I don't know. I, I suspect it's just the Soviets being like, religion, we don't like, so we'll not be showing you that. <laughs> yeah, it's it's definitely not not a film that I go away from going, ooh, Russian orthodoxy, I would like me some of that. <laughs> no, fair point. Um, yeah, but it is, it is interesting. And um, I don't know, I don't feel like I watch a lot of medieval dramas particularly. It's it's Although it's very different to the ones like I guess have seen, like, think of stereotypical medieval kind of films. Yeah. It's only very action-y. Right, whereas this does have 
some of that, but mm. it's yeah, it's more. I don't even want to say compl- contemplative because there's a lot of quiet, but there's plenty of chaos. Mm. Um, there's another Russian film that's much more recent. I've heard compared to this, but I haven't seen it yet. But it's it's called Hard to Be a God. I don't know if you've heard no, of that no, one. Heard of it. It's essentially about a like a sp- I think it's a space traveler goes to this other planet that's got stuck in the Middle Ages, essentially. Okay. Um, and it's the Middle Ages there is really horrible. And the film is supposed to be, like, a very, very hard watch for that reason. And I was, and I've heard that it's, people have compared it to, you know, almost said it's mm. kind of like this, but way more extreme. Yeah. I'm kind of thinking, hmm, that's going to be a very hard watch too then. <laughs> I mean, it does look it does look really muddy and grimy and kind of awful in this film in a way that I think in the slicker I've seen Robin Hood kind of films like it, the medieval period looks all right. Yeah. Um, weirdly that you mentioned Monty Python and the Holy Grail, which is the <laughs> only other film I could think of immediately where yeah. kind of peasants are covered in mud and all the roads are awful and yeah. <laughs> Who's that? Then? I don't know. That's Big King. Why? He hasn't got shit all over him. Yeah, but the, the, the thing about it is, again, for a film that's made a long time ago, there wasn't... I can't think of anything where I went, yeah, that looks like a crappy costume. No, and I don't know if that's helped by it being in black and white. I think it um, probably doesn't hurt. It probably doesn't hurt, like, the costume. But no, it looks great. And, like, I come back to the bell bit again. But all the cities and the bell set up all the forging and everything. I don't know how much of that they actually did for the film, but a lot of it looks very... Like, they put in a huge amount of effort. Yeah, and um, research. And, like, who knows how authentic that stuff is, but it's to somebody who, <laughs> yeah, yeah. who is not an expert in casting medieval church bells, it looks pretty darn convincing. Yeah, it does. really does. Um, yeah. I don't know how to link this to the previous this <laughs> bit, so this Carry is on. going to be a bit of a non-sequitur, but it's not a very funny film at all, but I did think The Jester was quite funny at the beginning. The Jester is quite funny at the beginning, uh, although I still have questions oh, yeah. about The Jester bit. Sure. The Jester bit is quite funny. I kind of enjoyed it. I don't understand why The Jester shows up at the end and blames Andre for getting The Jester arrested. Because after The Jester does this whole thing in the pub, then the monks walk in, everyone goes silent. It's all super awkward because the monks just come into the pub to get out of the rain. Yeah. But then some soldiers show up and like take the jester away. And he seems to blame Andre for this, but it's not clear. Maybe we just don't understand the scene. It's yeah. It's not clear to me how this is Andre's fault. Yeah, I don't know whether I missed something in the mm. subtitles or whether there was something that that wasn't subtitled. But yeah, yeah, you have this... Very energetic jester who is dancing and singing. And it's just one of those ones where it must have been an absolute nightmare for the person doing the subtitles. Mm. And for a lot of the dialogue, I could I could have basically followed it along without the subtitles, but the jester is just like, no, no <laughs> idea. And trying to read subtitles at the same time as listen out for things... Yeah, you just don't get anything. Part of part of it is that what a lot of what he's saying is just nonsense. Mm. Um, but uh, um, yeah, funnily enough, 
the thing he sort of reminded me of in terms of his crazy energy and babbling, and I'll have to show you this because I'm sure you <laughs> won't have seen it, but uh, the Soviet cartoon adaptation of Winnie the Pooh, Winnie Pooh, because... <laughs> I've not seen this. Why have you not done a podcast on it? <laughs> I know, I know, right? But uh, but yes, it, it, it it's definitely like it's essentially the stories of Winnie the Pooh that that you may have read or had mm. read to you as a child. But imagine that Winnie the Pooh is on amphetamines. Because <laughs> he's very, very loud and obnoxious and just crazy and babbles things. <laughs> but yes, the Jester's performance reminded me of that anyway. <laughs> I will show you and and um, and you'll see, you'll see what I mean. Or, you know, Google <laughs> Soviet Winnie the Pooh. Uh, well, yeah. <laughs> um, uh, yeah, anything else you want to discuss? Uh, is there any other bits that you liked slash didn't like? I quite like the balloon bit at the start, even though I don't understand how it relates to anything. The jester was really funny and great. Um, the stuff with Kirill, so that's his name, Gifkang, was interesting. So I think that covers about the first half hour of the film. And then the <laughs> bell bit, which is the last hour of the film... Yeah. And then there's an hour or so between those bits that I probably could have done without, and I don't really remember what happened. See, I I still quite liked the the Mongol raid, just in terms of like it was impressive. Oh yeah, it was impressive filmmaking. I'm just like, eh, what's is their point that things were hard? I don't know. Yeah, perhaps. <laughs> but yeah, it was kind of like the opposite of Stalker. Which is mm. a which is a film about three people and yeah. another couple of people that show up occasionally. Oh, that's the thing we haven't said. We should say that uh, the actor playing Andre is uh, the writer from Stalker. Grumpy... Yeah, I thought it was quite hard to recognise him, but you, as we pointed out, it was like twelve years later or something. So maybe... Yeah, grumpy, grumpy writer from Stalker. So yeah, I think I think he liked to use the same people mm. again and again. I mean, he didn't make a ton of films, but yeah, I think some repeat. Casting, as we've mentioned, with the guy um, who plays the Bell founder, secret Noah, <laughs> or not. But yeah, so um, would you recommend this to other people? Sure. No, I mean, if if someone's interested in interesting films, then yes, absolutely. It's a really interesting film. It's got some really interesting shots, and I think it's the kind of film that. I don't know. I mean, there's lots of interesting films that still get made, but... Sure. And maybe not quite like this. Yeah, I kind of feel like if somebody was saying, oh, I haven't seen any Tarkovsky, what should I start with? It would definitely not be this. Um, Not to say that it's bad, it's it's just hard work, and it's a big time commitment. It is hard work. It's so... Each individual bit is not necessarily incoherent. But I just mean, I don't mean the dialogue is incoherent. I mean, the, the, the film as a whole is quite incoherent. <laughs> the bits often don't seem to relate to each other very much. Yeah, and I think we're so trained for things to have a certain kind of, like, narrative arc. Mm. And that's not to say there isn't one here. It's, I don't know, it's just quite hard to discern. And Yeah, it's like there are arcs for individual characters, like bits of arcs for individual characters, even if they're not very fleshed out. Mm. Like there's kind of one for Andre and there's kind of one for 
the older guy. Yeah, and then there's, Kirill. Yeah, but there's not... Yeah, it's it's just perhaps not very satisfying in no. that regard. And I don't feel like the filmmaker cares about that. No, I, I think he was... From what I've read, I think he was fairly contemptuous about people making cinema for it to be entertaining. Mm. So, which, you know, maybe is not the best attitude to have, but, you know, he his results are very, you know, it's very impressive to look at. Mm. And, oh, yeah, it's a beautiful film. I know, like, Stoker was long and a film where nothing much happens. But I feel that like the whole thing, the whole of Stoker is like, a coherent narrative structure, even if not much explicitly is necessarily told to you, it feels like this is the journey of these people. Mm. And they're actually that's interesting that you you say that about it being a, a journey because I, I watched a um, you know the Crash Course like YouTube series. Mm-hmm. Uh, they did one on myths, and one of the episodes was on the hero's journey. Oh yeah, and for some reason, like. Stalker popped into my head when they were talking about the... Um, I forget the name of the guy, but this very influential academic who wrote on myth said that there are these stages of mm. a hero's journey. They won't be... Not all of them will be in every hero's journey mm. that you encounter, but these are the typical ones that come up. And actually quite a lot of them are just ticked off in mm. Stalker. Like there's a bit about crossing the threshold into you know, a different land. And we talked about, like, the funny um, bit with the zone cops. Yeah. <laughs> um, which is kind of silly, but that is very much one of the things that it ticks off. But anyway, that's about Stockholm. Yeah, and about. it didn't... It just didn't really feel like that necessarily. It feels like lots of mini bits, like, say, lots of mini episodes that have been stuck into a... A hole. Stuck into a hole. Um and some of them are more compelling than others. Yeah. Just yes. And there's 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 really there are threads that connect them but they're very fragile. Yeah. Yeah. I kind of almost wonder as an experiment whether you could just like just take a sol- a selection of them, just like randomly take some of them out and show one group of people like seven of the episodes and call it the film. And show some other people seven different mm. of the episodes or a different combination and tell them that that was the film and see whether people, would, <laughs> which group would like the film more and whether people would go, hang on, it seems like there was something missing there. See, I d- yeah, I don't think I would have noticed that there was things missing, really, so, for most of it. If you took bits out and then just put it, I think it would still feel as much of the film like having seen the whole of it it might be like oh that bit's missing where they go but Mm. had i not seen it i think yeah i think each episode if not stands alone then kind of stands with any other episode as much as it does with any other episode yeah yeah no i think Um, i know what you mean yeah you don't feel like you've taken out something that's so narratively important because there's not much of a narrative that flows between the different episodes it's all quite fairly sort of self-contained yeah yeah but all right well i think we've discussed this one fairly thoroughly yeah thank you very much it was interesting yeah it's the kind of thing i probably would not have bothered watching by myself so <laughs> it's always good to uh, have opportunities to watch things that you wouldn't necessarily watch 
Yeah, and chat about it. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Yeah. Um, but some good acting. Oh, yeah, definitely. Um, some beautiful shots and some Liam Neeson's <laughs> and dogs. <laughs> some of which do not get murdered. Most of which, in fact, most of which did not get murdered. Hooray! <laughs> All right. Well, thanks again for being a get- being my guest once more, and I'm sure we'll, we'll have you on again. <laughs> yeah, hope so. In the very near future. <laughs> All right. Take care. Okay. Dust for down, your folks. Bye. So that's it for this episode, but before I go, I'd like to thank Sasha Ilukovic and the Highly Skilled Migrants for the use of their song Cold in our intro. You can find that song and the rest of their back catalogue on Bandcamp and Spotify. If you're enjoying the show, please consider supporting us by leaving a rating at Apple Podcasts or at podchaser.com. That second one, Podchaser, even lets you rate individual episodes, so if this episode particularly stood out to you, you can let other listeners know that you enjoyed it. Recommending the show on social media is hugely helpful as well. If you can spare a moment or two to do that, it would really make my day. Thank you, thank you very much. Speaking of social media... Please find us and say hi on Facebook, Twitter or Instagram. You can also drop us a line at roosfilesunite at gmail.com. Thanks again for listening, take care of yourselves, and bye for now. Write a review, and then you can share it. With the world. In any social media platform. And then your friends see it, and you can share and discover new shows together. This is Steph, instigator of Pod Rev Day, Podcast Review Day. And I'm Andy from Inspired Money. And I'm Arielle of Earbuds Podcast Collective and CastBox. We're here to tell you everything you need to know about Pod Rev Day. Which is on the 8th of every month, of every year, of every century, of every... You get it. We are posting podcast reviews as part of hashtag Pod Rev Day, Podcast Review Day. Because podcasters work their butts off and deserve to know how much they've impacted your lives. And you can do that through reviews. Even one star feels surprisingly <laughs> good. Does it? It lets you know that people are at least listening. Don't be a passive podcast listener. Write a review and tell your favorite creator what you love about their podcast or about a specific episode. And to participate, you just need to do one review. And we'll see you every eighth of the month. Pod Rev Day. Because podcasters deserve to hear it. Hashtag Pod Rev Day. P-O-D-R-E-V-D-A-Y.